You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Kirk, are you doing the entire U.S. National Series for Spartan? Um, what do you mean by that specifically? Like, are you going to have enough races to qualify for a score? You have to do. You have to complete three, correct? Yeah, that's the plan. Okay. I, I just have yet to decide which of the three. Be curious. Well, I was going back through some of our episodes and making sure things are formatted correctly for the website. And I saw why people should consider going to Abu Dhabi. Oh, yeah. That what, what was one of our original episodes. Yeah. And it made me realize that, A, I have unfinished business over there in terms of, like, satisfaction. I've not had a great trip over there ever. I've enjoyed myself, but I didn't have the travel and the racing side figured out. So I didn't ever do as much as I wanted to do in the Dubai, Abu Dhabi area. So I, I, I feel like unsatisfied. I need to go back there and have like a great vacation. Oh, a vacation that includes about, oh, I don't know, an hour and a half of about 180 heart rate somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, my first two aired on the side of only the race, like taking precedence and that's okay. But I feel like I'd, I, the time travel like the time zones and the traveling and the race destroying me i was unable to really take advantage of the country afterwards and use like all their beauty there and see it all and i want to go back and do it again what does that mean back and what are you trying to get at how are we going to get there this is i guess i'm rambling here because my question was for you are you going to be able to qualify for it because i realized that their qualification standard is what it was still the year prior which is you have to finish in the top whatever like 40 in the national series or 50, 40, mm, I'd have to look. or take top 20 at the regional championship in your region. Those are the only two routes, which is Tahoe, which you don't plan on. Yeah. In the past, that's why I went to West Virginia one year was just to get a qualifier just in case. But mm-hmm. since I'm not going to complete three national series races, I'll, I'll only complete two. I have to go to Tahoe if I want to race there. Why don't you just go to slow in November? That'd be your sharpening race before Abu Dhabi. That's, oh, that's, it's so weird now, right? Yeah. So the final stop of the national series race is after the regional championship. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's strange. huh? It is strange, but I mean, it's, it's your ticket. Cause I, I don't really intend to go to Tahoe. I don't think I want to race there unless I can acclimate first. And I'm not going to go acclimate in quotes for two weeks before I think a regional race. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, I think that's the route. I think okay, might have to hit slow up. I mean, that'd be good though. Get back in the you know, do a West Virginia late in August, and then you kind of have a little downtime if you need it to like take a reset week beginning of September, and then build towards slow in Abu Dhabi, and you have yourself like a mini season that like could be really purposeful. So now slow a beast though. Uh, I think it's still going to be a super. I don't know. Okay, and and that's mid September, so you'd have like three weeks to recover. Or is that late I, September? I, no, I think it's uh, I think it's November. Yes, that's what. Sorry, I, that's what I meant. So, is it mid or late November? Because Worlds is the second of December. Yeah. I don't know. We're gonna have to go look. I think maybe there'll be some problems there. But it's a good conversation to have, though. It is, and I saw Kempson's post today, which is, "What are you gonna choose? OCR World Championships or Tahoe North American Championships?" 
And I think OCR Worlds is the second or first, depending on your perspective, most impressive spectacle event of the year behind Spartan World Championship. Yep. And now that Tahoe is not Worlds, I don't think it's a conversation anymore. I think that Spartan Regionals does not hold a candle to OCR World Championships. I so I would choose OCR Worlds every time, but I was thinking if my only path to Abu Dhabi has to go through Tahoe, then now business decisions have to get made, and I don't want to do that. I think it's going to be a very, very sparse field in Tahoe, and I think that you could walk the course and take, take a vacation and take here yeah, and take top 20, take a vacation with your family. And I say walk as in like a moderate effort, like a tempo effort tempo it. and you would qualify. Yeah. But here's the thing. There are two things <laughs> my daughter always says, but here's the thing. There are two <laughs> things about this. The first is that this is North American championship. And so any rough one from Mexico or Canada who does not have a qualifier is looking to get in through Tahoe. Now Canada yeah. oftentimes skews towards OCR world championships. They love real obstacle racing up there, not just Spartan racing. Yep. And so they like that. But they have like a half or third of their qualifying spots allocated to them through their national series. They only have something like 14 spots or something like that to go to Worlds from their national series. So anyone who's not in that would go to Tahoe. So it'll be just deep enough that you'll have to work a bit. Mm-hmm. And is there any such thing as tempoing that course once the swim happens? <laughs> no, no, no. Then, then you have to go into survival mode. So that's so true. It's a tough. It's a tough situation actually because if you want to like specialize, let's say, and you'd want to go to Abu Dhabi and race well, like you have no need to go to a Tahoe course and train and prepare for that. You really don't even have a need to go to like a Stratton course and train for OCR Worlds. Like if you want to be a specialist and you want to show up with your training being purposeful for Abu Dhabi, none of those paths really fit the perfect bill as far as like prep. So it's like, you're going to have to go outside of your training box to race, to get to the race that you want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. And when we say tempo a race, obviously tempo generally refers to run 60 minutes or less that are somewhere near your lactate threshold. When people talk about tempo in a race, it just means they don't run it all out. Yeah. You see it happening cross country a lot in college. Some studs at the high school level, they just go out and run fast enough to get a good workout in, but they don't empty the tank. And there are some places that that happens. Last year, or a year before, to qualify for the Ultra World Championship, a bunch of people went to Ohio or Breckenridge to get an ultra in, but they kind of tempoed it. Yep. You work hard, but you don't kill yourself because you want to get back to training right afterwards. And that's a luxury that really good people have the, <laughs> the option right. to use. Not everyone gets to go out. No, I'm just gonna suboptimal run and go top four. Yeah, you, know? you see a lot of you see a lot of powerhouse cross country NCAA yeah. teams do it early in the season. They got like seven guys running together, and they got seven guys finishing together, and that is a tempo effort workout, very productive. But they know they're good enough where they can get away with that early in the year without emptying the tank. I do wonder though if Spartan will. Um, Maybe you'd look at the qualifying standards with the race season being all janky. They may start sliding in these exceptions, which I have a feeling is going to happen. What they'll probably do is make us feel like we need to go complete the series or show up to these races. And then they'll say, ah, we got some other ways to get in. I wouldn't be surprised. Their website has that language built in. It says there are two ways to qualify. National series, regional placement. Number three, Spartan reserves the right to allocate world championship qualification points to events it deems necessary or something like that. So it's in there, but then you're playing the, you're, you're playing a bit of a game, but I guess if slow is sitting there at the end of the year, 
it's that's your get out of jail free card. And that's what you got to do then. I mean, I could look it up right now. I, I, I'm sure. Oh, no, no, never mind. For me, that doesn't work. Because? Because I DNF Jacksonville. I don't have that as a result. So Jacksonville plus West Virginia doesn't equal two. For me, it equals one. Oh, crap. So for someone else, that path might work. But I would have to hit something else. I believe my problem with slow is that it. this is going to seem like a unique first world problem, but uh, it's this opening weekend of deer hunting season here and, and locally. And that's like a big weekend here. That is like a holiday weekend. If I miss that, I haven't missed that weekend bracken for anything in a long time. So that would be some priority shifts. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to hash that one out. Someone like you or I, who's not the best in the world, but is far from the worst in the world, Mm -hmm. You can usually count on, I can just show up and hit my three. Even if I have a bad one, as bad as I run, I probably won't finish outside the top 20 and that'll salvage my points and I'll qualify for whatever I want to qualify. I may not wind up in the money, but I'll at least get my qualifier. Mm -hmm. A DNF really (laughs) lights that plan on fire. I didn't think about that, man. (sighs) Well, I still have some thinking to do. I'd like to find a way to qualify other than that. You know what they should have? A lifetime qualification for anyone who's been on a world championship podium. <laughs> Which would have to grandfather you in from 2013? 2012. <laughs> nine years ago? It's my nine-year anniversary of my first world championship podium. Wow. Yeah. You should maybe sneak into uh, like Raddick's email, see if he buys it. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you can sneak in, you can drop in with a splash. You're probably not going to get a response. That's fair. I think Radic was in diapers when you were on the podium and world champs. You never know. It's a very selfish request, but I'm asking for a podium grandfather clause. All right. Well, we're going to move on after this recommendation, but just hearing what you have to say, I think you take a vacation with the family in September to Tahoe and you go run the course and you get in and then at least you have the option and use it as a training day. That's really your, that's your answer. So. That is the answer, but you and I know something about me before we move on. And that is that mentality is my focus right now. Mm -hmm. Am I, am I even, do I have the wealth of toughness right now to go out and temple a course without risking my race readiness mentally? Yeah. Yes, you do, Bracken. You, you, You think so? You know what? I just watched, so I was just doing an incline workout an hour ago and I'm out of stuff to watch. I've watched every NCAA track event from the championships i've watched both you watched nationals from this week yep i watched ncaa cross from monday i watched all the spartan crap i can find the trail racing crap i can find the olympic 5 10k 1500 meter finals i've gone through it all on youtube on my incline Mm -hmm. trainer so i went back to the very first spartan rewind that i could find on youtube which was 2016 montana I said, I'm going to go back. I haven't watched these in like two years. It's time to start over because I'm out. If anybody has any recommendations while I'm on like cross training, send them my way. However, you took second in that race. Yeah. And the looks on your face and like there was an athlete in there that was one, having a blast out there and two, like hawk, like look in their eyes, like I'm going to fuck you up. And you had both. And it was like, it was I guess I haven't seen your face in a race recently. So who knows? Maybe that's the same look you have today. But like, that was a killer out there, man. You were a killer. I just watched it like a half hour ago. And you were looking back and you hit your spear and you threw like this hand signal up towards the camera. Like I'm having fun and I know I'm kicking ass and you almost run down Atkins. And I was like, that's a locked in dude right there. For for those of you listening, if you you always still like a lot of you are newer and you you wonder what the, the cracker 
Cracker was before his injuries. Look up on YouTube under Spartan, Spartan Rewind 2016, Montana, and you'll get the, the Bracken craze. You'll get it. And you're going to get it again. The but craze? I, are we announcing there's a craze? I just did, Bracken. All right. It'd be worth the watch for people. But continue. I'm sorry. I interrupted your mentality. No. So I, I'm wondering, can I afford to do that? Maybe. Can you afford to go to Tahoe of all courses without specific workouts? Which means you're going to have to do some cold water work. You're going to have to do big, long descents. And now that changes the entire trajectory of your off-season for a flatlander. For a mountain runner, it's different. You're always in Tahoe shape. All I know is mountain running and incline work will translate to Abu Dhabi still, as you know it will. So Maybe I have a demon to get my back off my back with that Tahoe course anyway. So maybe this is a blessing in disguise. The last time I was there, I walked off the course dry heaving and cramping. So maybe I need to conquer that. I'm just going back on my word, but if you decide to maybe go, maybe maybe I'll join you. Okay. How's that sound? Sounds good. Maybe, maybe this time we can shack up and room together. So last night while I was uh, sitting there on the porcelain throne, Kirk, Kirk and I talked about this, but I have a bout of food poisoning right now. Mm. And I don't even think I did any of like, my weird stuff. <laughs> this is just normal <laughs> food that got me. No grocery store sushi preceding this. I was looking through my Strava again because... I was thinking, man, do I have to go back to Tahoe? I just remember coming out of that water, just being destroyed. And then I looked and realized, oh yeah, I was a lap and a half in. So <laughs> while I did DNF and it destroyed me, I was also like, I don't know, four hours into racing at altitude. So there's there's some glimmer of hope there. Yeah, and it's just one lap, the champs. So this year. Right. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. No problem. Um, today, 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 folks, we got a Q&A. Holy smokes. Oh, do we have a Q&A? We have a Q&A. Uh, it seems like we just have done these, right? Every time we do a Q&A, I'm like, we swear we just did it. And then I look at my screenshots and I've got like 20 or 30 in there. And it's like, it's time to do it again. The people have good questions. And then we look back and it's always like six weeks. We think we just did one two or three weeks ago, but time flies when you're interviewing some interesting people. Yeah, it's true. So I say we uh, we dive right into it. I have not, so I've screenshot all of these as as I usually do, but I've not read a single question before I'm reading them out loud to you. So there's no like preemptive, this will be off the cuff for both of us. So my parents were over yesterday talking about nationals. My mom came over and said, have you watched any of the D1 national races? That's what I knew. Yep. This, I'm in the right family here. That's awesome. My parents wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> my mom keeps up on those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to, I like that. I like that. And there was some, it was an interesting interesting watching the indoor champs races because it was a sparse field on a lot of those major events that should have been really amazing but half of them so what why don't you tell them what the situation was in the ncaa because people should know this well it was interesting because cross country got canceled yep part way through basically didn't happen and so they moved the national usually cross country seasons in fall indoor track is in winter spring and then outdoor track is in late spring early summer they combined indoor track and cross-country nationals into one weekend. So mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday races for track championships. And then Monday was cross-country national championships. Right. So what they did is they put... And I thought it was cool. Friday, Saturday, Sunday for Nats. And then a lot of those distance guys came back literally a day or two later to run cross-country nationals. And what they did is they put the meets like an hour apart. So everybody traveling to nationals for track could just make the quick hour drive over to the cross country course and do it. And so you had a bunch of guys and girls showing up with just smoked legs. Like you got to think if you're like a 1500 meter runner and you ran the DMR as well, or a miler indoors, sorry, you have heat one of the mile 
heat two of the mile to the finals, plus let's say a DMR leg, some of these guys were running three, four races, and then a day or two later going and running an all out 10K cross. Like, holy cow. It made for a tactical weekend because in college, there's still a lot of that team battle. Some teams are all about team score and others are about trying to get individual champions. And so some teams like NAU, Northern Arizona University, John Yatsko's alma mater, they came out and they did not run a single athlete in their distance or mid-distance crew at the track meet. They saved them all for cross country and they had people qualify. And what they do at cross country Nats on Monday? And they won. They smoked it. Dude, the freshman Nico Young, stud. He's a stud. stud. Now, BYU women did the same thing, I believe. They didn't run anyone. And NAU and BYU are two classic team programs. Mm-hmm. And so they saved everyone for cross country and they won. Mm-hmm. But then the second place female team ran like three of their top four, doubled up at nationals. Some finished top 10 and they came back and took second in cross. So there was a guy who took, I think the guy who took second in cross country took fourth in the 5K or something. He did behind, uh, yes, but yeah, he did. Yeah. Who did he get? Who did he, who led the race, my God, until he didn't? In the 5K? No, at cross Nats. Uh, A couple people led, but that, uh, was it Kip Two? Kip Two, Kip Two smoked the field in the 5K at indoor Nats. Yeah. Set the national record, 1323, Mm -hmm. which is the fastest championship time ever run. By a second and a half. And then two days later, he goes out hot at cross country Nats and can't hang. And I'll tell you what, you guys should go watch the NCAA cross country national champs. That's on YouTube on NCAA's channel and all the individual events from this last weekend. Um, I know a lot of you are out there cross training, but Connor Mance's performance in was probably the most impressively, I'm almost going to say dominant because he looked, what he looked like was this. He looked like VJ Jones, two miles into Jacksonville, lost off the pack, off the back end of the leaders and came back and smoked the field in the last K. He's like one of the gutsiest runners ever. Connor Mance, dude, that was probably the most impressive cross Nats performance I've seen in five years. And he took it out, got out hard, and then he got caught, and then he hung on, and then he brought it home. He got dropped by like five seconds, six seconds. There is no tougher way to win a race than getting dropped in the middle of the race Mm. because you fight everything everyone else is fighting, plus those demons in your head saying, well, no one ever gets caught and is having a good race. And but Kip too had a little fatigue in his legs and came back to Connor. That gave Connor Mance a little second wind in his sail. It's an amazing race. Anyways, go watch it. We need to stop. Probably we could probably go all day about NCAA's. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. One of the most interesting things to me is that Connor Mance is twenty four. Yeah, he's an older. He's BYU. They all take their two year mission trip after their sophomore year of college. So he's mm-hmm. twenty four, and Nico Young is eighteen. Nico took fourth, I think fifth. Fourth, yeah. fourth. and. He's a, he's a fresh 18. So they're six years apart. Mm-hmm. Think about that. When Connor Mance was a senior in high school, Nico Young was a seventh grader. That's wild. They didn't even compete in high school at the same time. They didn't overlap, and they finished three spots apart at D1 Nationals. If you want to know what trying hard looks like, folks, by the way, go watch this last NCAA Men's Cross Country Championship, and they have like a golf cart that rides in front of these guys, and look at the looks on their faces. You want to know what it's like to push? You think you push in a Spartan race? You don't get like, oh, it's just a 10K. Running is easy. Look at Connor Mance's face for 30 minutes, and you tell me how that feels. Now, he and Nico are interesting because usually the very best people look effortless. Those are two guys that they wear their pain face from the start. Mm -hmm. They're ugly, pretty runners, if that makes sense. 
Dude, very inspiring. It makes me feel slow as shit watching those guys come through the mile in like 420 or whatever it was. It 30 flat, 20, no, 29 low for a 10K on a hilly cross-country course. Oh, amazing athletes. Um, we need to get on with our a roundabout tangent that went off. My parents asked if we were ever going to do a live episode somewhere and if that would be weird for us. I said, well, we're definitely practicing every Q&A we do. We don't look at the questions beforehand so that we have to respond just off the cuff. So if we ever do a live one, at least we have some experience having no idea what we're about to talk about. Aren't you going live this weekend for Savage Race? Uh, next weekend, yeah. Next weekend with yeah. uh, the Obstacle Racing Media crew? Yeah, we're going to remotely announce or commentate the Savage Race. Is that this weekend? Next weekend. Oh, the same week, same weekend as Vegas. That's right. You sure it's not this weekend? I mean, if it is, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I have a, in my calendar, next Friday, we have a meeting to go over it. Okay. I trust you there. I got to get better with these race schedules, apparently, folks. Um, all right. We're diving into a bracket. No more tangents. No more set with 20 minutes of bullshit. And we're this is our back. longest preamble we've ever had. We just like to chat, I guess. Um, I miss you. That's what it comes down to. I got a taste of you in Jacksonville, and now I want the whole thing. Oh, that is kinky. All right. Ryan Hudson asks, I have a unique training question that I'm not entirely sure would work or not. I'm training for the New Jersey Beast this April. Okay, well, that got canceled, however. <laughs> this, is a long, this question was from a while ago. That shows you how long it's been since we've done these. Uh, and can't run because of a little knock I got. I don't know what that means. I run on my toes for the uphills, so to compensate for not being able to do this, every so often throughout the day, I will take 10 to 15 minutes where I will lift my heel off the ground and walk or stand around the house and attempt to replicate stress. So he's walking around on his toes. For so like he's, a heel, he's a toe runner who can't run uphill right now, so he's trying to keep his calves strong. That's what I'm, that's what I'm understanding. He's walking around on his toes, okay? Okay. Uh, which I can understand the logic, just to, as long to replicate the stress. So pretty much I'm walking on my toes as long as I can to get used to the lactate buildup. Have you ever heard of this, or do you think it can be a good substitute until I get cleared? I would love to get both of your professional opinions on this. I also can't do calf raises yet because my range of motion is still limited in my ankle. So that's how this idea started. So apparently he has poor flexion or poor extension, but good, no, good extension, but poor flexion. What do you think of that? Well, it sounds silly, right? Yep. But coming from someone who just went through a long period of not being able to run and came back and realized that his calves were now the weakest in his chain and the calf gave out, I think there's some genius to that. I think that any time you have to take time away, anything you can do to stop the atrophy, even if that's just re being used to tension, is a smart thing to do. But what worries me about that statement is that he can't do calf raises because he actually doesn't have the ankle ability yet. And so I think that it would have to be a two-prong attack to target that ankle strengthening simultaneously. This is what I think. I think the last thing you should do is sit on the couch and feel sorry for yourself and give up completely. And somebody who's walking around on his tippy toes you know, for 15 minutes a day because he gives a shit is doing something right. And yeah. so if that's a little bit, if that's not causing you pain, if it's not setting your recovery back, um, I don't think it's a training plan or a, like, I don't think, I think it's going to maybe help you 10 or 15% once you return to running. It's not going to stimulate impact load or flexion and extension and push off. But uh, this is also really late getting you, Ryan, because I don't know how long ago you asked this, but um it's better than nothing, and I commend you for that. And that alone means you have a good mindset, and I'm optimistic for it. I was, I was taught a lesson by one of the athletes I coached this week, Kelly Williams. She's the one who connected us with Carol for that interview we did. Kelly is a medical professional, and she specializes in helping athletic people rehab from injuries. 
among other things that she does. But she injured herself two weeks ago doing a DECA fit. And she is back to running now. And it was probably half the time back to running that I would have expected from someone. And she was sending me messages and videos of things she was doing to help herself. And I realized I'm a baby knowledge-wise and practice-wise when it comes to true rehab. And I basically told her that. I said, this is like, you don't mess around with your rehab. And it's shocking how quickly you have brought your body back into form. Because she was doing stuff all day long. And she said, not to brag or anything, but this is why the pro athletes recover so much faster than normal humans. It's because they have people like me, but they're with them all day long. Mm -hmm. And they just work all day long. And what that showed me is there's a power to constant work. That there's a difference between resting with your leg up on the couch and every 30 minutes doing a recovery practice on it. Even if that practice isn't the most sound piece, if you are doing it and getting extra blood flow and taking it through range of motion and adding some tension, you will be ahead of the game when you come back. Yeah, So thank you, Kelly. And I think we can all take a note from that. Ryan, I'll be curious where you're at right now since we're getting to you a little late, how that panned out for you. Uh, Benjamin McCall says, okay, I have a good Q&A question for you. All right. He says it's good. I hope he's right. When you lead with confidence, it better be good. I am a 10 to 11 minute miler on average. When I'm on the treadmill, I keep my arms swinging and I do not touch the rail. Good. Because if you touch the rail, I'm going to slap you. No holding on to the handles, folks, even at inclines. Slap you. My question is, why is it that no matter what I do, I can never get my Garmin to sync with my treadmill? My Garmin is always too fast or too slow. It rarely syncs up. Uh, I'm gonna. It's a two-parter. It's quick. I guess the second question would be, which is more reliable, my treadmill or my Garmin? Thank you very much. I have been fighting this for years. Here's my take on it. The Garmin is doing its best to be an accelerometer for you is trying to be like a, a foot pod. It's trying to match your known cadence and stride and pacing from all the runs you've done and translate it to what you're doing in that moment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be accurate. As soon as there's an incline on the treadmill, it doesn't know that it is not accurate at all. Treadmills are oftentimes very wrong, but they're accurate. They're consistently wrong if they're wrong. So you trust the treadmill and you just learn what your numbers are on the treadmill. Even if you have to make a chart, which I have written on my treadmill. I have my my chart for each, my pace for each incline. And then you track your progress off of that. So throw out your Garmin data. Uh, yes, on the treadmill, you only, uh, it's one of my pet peeves actually. I still have a few athletes and you know who you are, who will go run on the treadmill and then they send me the watch, the data that came from their watch. Uh, that, that you throw that out. That data is useless other than the heart rate read it's giving you. Um, Whatever the treadmill says is what's happening. So treadmill only is what you are using the data off of. Now, I will say that there are um, ways to calibrate. So you can go into the back end settings of your watch or you can do a calibration, which basically gets you, you run on the treadmill, you have both your Garmin on and you have, and you have obviously your treadmill running. And then at the end of that run, let's say you run four miles in 30 minutes. Then it will say, how far did you really go? And you put four miles in 30 minutes and that's gonna help you recalibrate so it gets closer. And that is an option on most all of these uh, smart uh, GPS watches. So you can calibrate to get closer, but treadmill only, I mean, the watch data is useless. Today, for example, I did 10 10 bouts of climbs with five minutes jog easy in between. My Garmin said I went 9.35 miles. I actually on the treadmill went 5.87. It was almost four miles off because of the vert component. So I'm four miles off. 
throw that data out. And I like that data because it's kind of like Badger Miles. Totally. It tells you how much work you did, but it's not accurate on distance or pace. Yep. Next question. Do you have anything to add to that? No, no, we cover that. Dan Saxby asks, Dan, Dan the man. I like Dan. Dan knows why I like you. Saxby and McCall, they're pretty regular contributors and they pop up on, I'd list them in our, if we had like a VIP section, they'd be in our VIP section. Me and Dan got to fist bump in person in Minneapolis one day. I appreciated that. All right. Hey, you guys can't relate, but I'm a slow twitch muscle guy. So is my 16 year old. Is there a way to build explosive power and speed? He needs to get quicker for lacrosse. Gracias, amigo. Yeah. Yep. Yep. First of all, lift heavy in low reps, as heavy as you can lift. Second of all, practice explosion. It's interesting. I'm considered more of a fast twitch end of the spectrum for our sport. Mm-hmm. And yet I was very slow footed in high school. Hmm. Couldn't jump, couldn't sprint. I was very slow. You couldn't jump, but you could dunk a basketball? I couldn't dunk. Not until my very end of my senior year. And even then, it was barely. And I know it changed for you, but continue. My junior year, I couldn't touch the rim. My senior year, I dunked. And I started lifting in that time, and I started sprinting. And I raised about six or seven inches on my vertical. And then after that, I lost it when I got down to Campbell and lost all my weight and did nothing but endurance training. And then that summer, I lifted a ton and sprinted a ton. And by the end of the next year, I went from, in a year and a half, basically, I went from, I could barely touch the rim with my fingers anymore, to one day at Whitewater, I caught a basketball standing right next to the hoop, just standing still. I took one step forward and two-handed dunked. To be able to do that, you have to be able to get both hands at least seven inches above the rim. So my vertical probably went up 10 inches in a year and a half. This isn't bragging about vertical. It's, it's showing that you can change. It's a little bit. It's a little bit bragging about vertical. I mean, maybe, but I, I wanted to put perspective into how much that changed. A ten-inch vertical change from someone who felt slow and sluggish to someone who could sprint relatively well for a distance runner and explode off the ground. And it came from Olympic lifts, heavy platform lifts, and actually spending time just doing twenty and thirty meter sprints. I'm going to echo that. I mean, you got, Dan, you got to get that, that young boy, he's about 16 years old. It's right about the age where I start to get comfortable putting a, a body under heavier load. It's a development with like the attachments and the tendons and ligaments can get a little tricky. Um, but yeah, heavy lifts, heavy compound lifts work on that explosive raw power. That's where it's going to stem from. And yeah. then, you know, don't have him joining you out on your jogs anymore, Dan, if he is, it's time to cut that out. If lacrosse, if he's really, that's his focus. He's doing a lot of lateral work. He's doing a lot of quick sprints, you know, wind sprints, like a run the straights, walk the curves at the track just to build some speed. He's doing plyos after being tired, box jumps, jump squats, on fatigued legs, um, that sort of stuff. Yeah. At 16, I was so slow footed. I wasn't allowed to steal bases in baseball. I had no explosion. I couldn't get up and go. I don't believe that a boy knows. I'm assuming he's talking about a son. I don't believe a boy knows whether he's fast or slow twitch until he's a man. Like until you go through puberty, your body is not fully formed yet. And then also there's, there's a component here that the the agility versus speed, you can be explosive laterally and that can be worked on with technique as much as actual explosion can be worked on. And so, like you said, plyometric jump roping, lateral movements, fast work. That's the kind of stuff that's going to pay off. Um, next question. Jeremy Whitley says, ton of people wearing breathing strips and nasal breathing. Interested in hearing your thoughts more on breathing and breathing patterns. 
I recall an episode where Big Brack, that's his nickname for you, said that he'd never prescribe someone to breathe only through their nose, but I see this has changed with uphill athlete. This is awesome. Okay, that's it. Uh, yeah, and I've had some people message me about that saying, you said you would never, and that's why we should never say the word never, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never prescribe people to just go out and run breathing through your nose as a way of improving yourself. I don't believe that nasal only breathing has any evidence that shows it strengthens your lungs to a point that it improves performance or makes you more efficient at basically utilizing oxygen. But I do believe that nasal only breathing forces you to stay aerobic. And that's why we use it on our aerobic threshold test. I still don't yeah. do any runs breathing only through my nose, but I use it as a tool, but not as a technique for getting better. It's a measuring stick. You know, I think sometimes uh, athletes have, uh, like you, for example, um, you're, you're a self-proclaimed heavy breather when we start workouts. You'll yes. be the guy huffing and puffing like 15 seconds into a workout and you're like, I'll settle in. Right. And you do, you always do. Um, people who, some people like do hyperventilate a little bit when they're running, right? Like a little more than they need to be. And that's not what you're doing. However, I think for those people who tend to like respirate a little quicker than they need to, like if you are next to some of the top people in our sport, one, you can barely hear them breathing, even when they're working all out Two, like their respiratory rate is still often like under control. And so if you're one of those who find yourself in that like <sighs> sort of breathing and you can't get out of it, and I know there's people out there like that, the nasal breathing can help you slow it down, like in training and in practice. I think that's one good application to just sort of like recenter yourself. But as far as like going out and doing hard workouts, nasal breathing and stuff like that, I am not a big proponent. Um, he asked about the nasal strips. Um Maybe it's sinus infection season. I don't know. But like most of my air is coming in out of my mouth and people can fight me on that. But I think most of you out there are doing the same. So I don't have much more to speak to on that. Do you? I don't. Um, I, I mean, I, maybe I do. Anytime we look at those type of tricks that people think they might be discovering something that's going to unlock potential, look, look to the best in the world. How many nasal strips do you see at D1 cross country track, at world championships, running, triathlon? There are a few people, a handful, single digit, that use them in the world. And that's it. And it's because there's not really any merit to it. If you even look at Breathe Right strips and how much they open your airways, it's negligible. It's kind of like KT tape. KT tape can't change the structure of your body. It can pull on your skin. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding of how our body uses oxygen and where our oxygen transport system fails. And it's generally not from restricted nostrils if it is like blow your nose and you'll be fine above this screenshot is a photo of jeremy whitley because he had tagged us in a story just before he asked the question and it's him with a breathe a nasal a nasal strip mm -hmm. on so i'll be curious what his findings are galen rupp used them for a few years in college mm -hmm. and yep. from time to time post collegiately when his his allergies were bad so i'm not saying there's no merit there's just very little merit for most people yeah. I tried it in college for a race. I put it on and I felt like this big rush, like, oh, I'm getting so much oxygen through. And three minutes in, I was gasping like normal. Like normal, yeah. So. Um, Oli Knowles, 81. Oli Knowles says, I discovered, hi, I discovered your podcast through the second UK lockdown. And I am still working my way through old episodes now into our third lockdown. UK has been put on lock like so yeah. hard a number of times. It's great. Thoroughly enjoy the content and interview content and interviews. With limited equipment, I have been relying on running to keep training. 
I'd been doing functional training at a CrossFit box previously. Since an injury, I have bought an air bike as running uh, is out of the question. Is it possible to just train on the air bike and improve endurance and fitness? Can I do different styles of workouts on the bike to fill my week? Thanks. Yes, 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 and yes, and yes, and yes, times 100. Yes. If you are already at your ceiling as a runner, you will not come back better. You will probably come back a little worse. If you have room to improve as a runner, we're really focusing specifically on air bike work or any tool, any implement that can let you work aerobically and anaerobically, you will round out some of the, the divots in your fitness. You'll still have to come back and pair it to your running specific fitness in the skill of running, but most of us have giant holes and just gaping fissures in our fitness. And this will help it because you will be so much more specific in how you have to use it to break up the monotony that you're going to fix different parts of you as an aerobic machine. Yeah. Look at your week if you were training in full and say, okay, well, let's say on Tuesday I do intervals and that gets my heart rate really high and they hurt and they suck and they're maybe a little shorter. And then on later in the week, I do a threshold workout where I do a sustained effort. You literally just attempt to mirror that on the bike. So harder, short efforts on Tuesday, longer sustained stuff later in the week and some recovery efforts in between. You know, I build and maintain great fitness doing it. Sure, my run economy sucks when I return to running, but like three weeks back, I'd be like, dang, I'm so glad I did that air bike work because, whoa, it just popped. And if I hadn't done that, it'd be a month and a half or two before I even get any confidence back. So um, yes, use it. And yes, go through all your training modalities, compromise air bike workouts, short intervals and long threshold stuff, and then recovering between, I would do it all. And one of the beauties about non-impact cardio is that you can do more of it. Yeah. If you just look at it purely from engine building, it's more efficient to do it there because you're not limited by impact. You're going to come out of it probably with a bigger engine than you went in. You know how um, Strava keeps like your, uh, you click on the training tab and then it has your, what is it? They used to be a suffer score. What is it now? What are they, what is it? Your per, your perceived effort. Well, let me see what it is. Like your weekly intensity, you get a weekly intensity score at the end of your week, right? Want to know my highest was of the whole last year when I was injured, putting in tons of hours on the bike and cross training. According to my Strava, I'm putting in way less weekly intensity work since I started running than when I was injured because of how much time I could spend in cross training. So the, that, the point is correct. Is like you can actually even take advantage of that in a certain way. And so you should. Yeah. Yeah. Next questions. Spencer Moore. Got a couple questions for you. The next Q&A episode. <clears throat> in, an in an alternate universe with no running shoes, what type of shoes would you wear for running? Let's start with that one. So he wants to know if he's not going to... There's all the shoes out there aside from running shoes. Okay. What shoes are you running in? I kind of like it. Uh, I, I, I'll answer this like just from a totally non-what-he's-asking standpoint. Probably sandals. Are you going to tape them to your feet? Flip-flops. I just naturally midfoot strike flip-flops. <laughs> if I could build up the tolerance to blisters, I could be one of those crazy hippie barefoot runners. However, what I believe he's asking is he wants a shoe for the gym that he can lift in and do all his work in, and then also do a little bit of running while he's at the gym. And so he doesn't have to bring two shoes. Uh, based on his second question, I'm going to guess he's just shooting shots for fun. Really? Yeah. Okay. The best non-running running shoe I ever bought was a pair of casual shoes by Vans. 
<laughs> okay. They had like six mil drop. They were all foam bottom, no rubber on the bottom, just one piece foam. And I always thought if I traveled to a road race in these and I forgot my shoes, I wouldn't be that much slower in these. So that's it? That's the it. Van? A pair van. of vans. They're not the classic skateboard vans. These are one of their casual shoes. I wish I remember what it was called, but I got them at the van store at the mall. They were like 70 bucks. They were like gray suede on white bottom. They look clean and I could run in them. I like that. I could take the cop-out answer and say like, there's a couple of companies that make like walking specific shoes and they translate pretty well. I'm not going to go there. Let's say there's no walking shoes too. Um, I'm going to go with a pair of indoor soccer shoes. Okay. That I wore and trained in all the time. In high school, I'd go run in my indoor soccer shoots, uh, shoes. They had decent tread on the bottom. I just, you know, stick to the grass and run in my indoor soccer shoes. Not too gnarly, so I could run on cement in them. They got decent flexion, some support. They're pretty stiff. They run more like a like a firm trail shoe without the hard tread. But like, I'm gonna go indoor soccer shoe. And you didn't have any stress fractures or anything in high school, right? <laughs> Honestly, in those days when I was running in those, no. Maybe I did. You need to go back to that. <laughs> Maybe I do. Maybe Spencer, you started something. His next question, and then he has a real question after that. In a no rules cage match, which one of you could would win? We would unite and defeat everyone else. You don't. You don't. You don't think we could pop each other? I'm sure we could. You're probably We're more. I was going to say ourselves. Yeah, we, we've had this question before, haven't we? If people want us to fight. What's your first move? Let's say. Let's say the the bell goes off. What's your first 20 seconds look like? I think you're going to try to wrestle me. I'm going right for you as low as possible. So I'm staying at range and I'm picking you apart. And you're going to wait. You're just going to anticipate that? Sprawl and brawl. Yeah, my effort is go for your knees <laughs> right from the start <laughs> and see how it turns out. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's any mystery here. <laughs> you're going to try to take me right down. From the lower body. And it's going to be the classic battle of styles. Yeah. Okay. In all seriousness, I, I kind of like this question, actually. Do you think Spartan is losing focus? They're adding many other competition types, DECA, trail, combat, um, et cetera. You say combat? It says combat, but I'm sure maybe he means combine or something else. <laughs> There's a Spartan combat. Let's if he was talk. setting us up to get into Spartan combat. That was uh, he, is, he buried that lead well. Spartan cross, all that. I feel like they could be spreading themselves thin. We will see less focus on the. Will we see less focus on the traditional OCR races? Meaning, either less races, less innovation, and with new obstacles, poorly planned courses, etc. Just wondering your thoughts on this, and I think it's a good topic of discussion. What do you think? Well, I have concrete thoughts. Do you want to lead, or should I dive into it? Go ahead. I think a couple things about Spartan. First is they've never been innovators from a racing perspective. They're innovators from a business perspective. So when people say Spartan needs to get back to innovating, they never innovated. Spartan was built off Tough Mudder, who was built off the UK Tough Guy. Like Nothing was innovated there. What they innovated was the competitive side, the elite side, the pro side, the series side. But mm -hmm. I don't know if they've ever created a, a legitimate obstacle of their own. They created their own. It was like Helix. It was like, oh, let's, let's tilt Olympus and make it out of metal. Like That's not innovation. Uh, I think that they had turnover internally. And they got a new, young, hungry, business-savvy crowd in right before the pandemic. And so they launched all of these things because they were going to grow as a brand and ensure longevity. And then the pandemic hit. And now they're caught. Like, do we get rid of everything we said we were going to launch or do we stick to it? And they're continuing to roll things out like Spartan Plus. And that's hitting wrong right now. People are pissed off about Spartan Plus And they're mad that there's no obstacle innovation. And Spartan's kind of pot committed to their business plan. 
they pumped a lot of money into DECA before it even happened. They pumped money into the games, into the Combine, into Spartan Cross. They're, they have a lot of irons in the fire already, and they're forced to either see them through or just throw it out. So that's what I think about that. What do you think they should do? See them through or throw them out? Or do we not know yet? I think that they're the dominant force that sustains this industry. And they're gonna, they should do whatever they feel like doing because people will always come out until there's a better option. I see a lot of comments like, well, this is going to be my last year with Spartan. You lost me, guys. You lost me. That, this was the final straw. But where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. Savage is great. OCR Worlds is great. But they're so small that they can't sustain the industry. So I think Spartan will continue to do and should continue to do what they want while still making a small little inroads into innovation or more of the customer experience. They're becoming a big clinical, like hygienic company, the way you look at Dell or Apple or Microsoft, rather than the grassroots that Spartan used to be. And that loses all the initial investors along the way, but it's replaced with the new crowd. Right. Yeah. I do miss the, even when I started in 2016, it felt more like the old days with, we didn't really know what we were getting. Half the obstacles were considered classified. You didn't know there was a, there was appeal to that. I I see, first of all, Spartan trail is a very smart move. Okay. Spartan trail. I'm hundred percent on board with. They already have the venue. They already have the place locked down. It's a good way to get a few new eyes on the sport. It costs them literally nothing extra. Spartan trail, hundred percent back that idea. And I like that. Um, Point two, I guess, is that we are not losing competitors in the main Spartan Race Avenue. All the major players are typically showing up. Sure, we have some specialists, like let's say Araya Coble, who's focusing on Ultra Series if it happens. A few stadium specialists where we lose guys like Isaiah Vidal and, and that. But like for the most part, people are still coming out. So it's not really affecting like the top level performance. Their numbers are still as good as ever, right? So if they want to dabble, let them dabble. That's what I think. And I actually think DECA, once it actually has a chance to happen, I think it's going to go off. And if it gives us more opportunities to race as athletes, I just pat Spartan on the back for trying. They get a lot of slack for not doing things right. When really they're doing so much right to give us like, we have a podcast because of Spartan in a sense. You're listening to this because of the empire that you sometimes bag on exists. So like cut them some slack, let them play. And, and if it sticks, it sticks. But as I don't have a problem with um, with standard standardization. I believe like if it's too easy, go faster, get more efficient. Like that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. So I'm a, I'm on board. I think they're doing as well as they can, and I, I don't mind how they're dabbling. I think that BlackBerry needs to be the company that everyone looks to whenever they make an argument about innovation. BlackBerry stood their ground. They said, we are not anything other than a smart device with a keyboard integrated into it. We will not change. We're not making headphones. We're not making Bluetooth uh, devices. We're not going to make tablets. We're not going to pander to the whims of our audience. We are not going to do touchscreens. We are the industry. We created this industry. The others will fade. And what happened to BlackBerry? They have not adapted. And you have to adapt or die in this world. In nature and in the business world, you have to. And Spartan has managed to do both. They've never really compromised what they said from the start, but they've also branched out. And one way of adapting is to buy up or put your competitors out of business. Mm-hmm. Hyrox comes in, you put out DecaFit. You see the chance to buy La Ruta, that mountain bike company, you take it. If you can lock down the trails, like you remain the king. And I think they're doing everything right. I think that people who think they were proven wrong, it was done by coronavirus. 
are they going to alienate people along the way? Yes. But would you rather be alienated slightly or would you rather have your hero be Blackberry? They never alienated you. And now you're just alone on some barren island somewhere with nothing to do. Spartan is creating opportunities and they're they're doing their best. Maybe at the expense of some of their other events. Maybe. But they're creating opportunities for us. They give us something to care about, whether you approve of some of the small decisions along the way or not. And so yeah. I say we just be happy with it. And this is coming from a guy who doesn't agree with their small decisions and has refused to sign with them for two years. Yeah. I'm not a Spartan homer. I think I'm a realist, though. And I think that they're a net positive to the industry. I think they are the industry. They, they have become the industry, yes. Um, so they're probably doing something right. Um, Devin Beaumont says, have a general question about hills for you. If you've answered it already, I'm sorry. LOL. Race slash course specific is going to be best, but for training purposes, are all hills created equal or is a steeper always better? That's a great question, actually. It is. My general answer is, is that if you're running hard enough, any hill's a hill. We had a comment on one of the videos we posted once is, that's a hill? Like, well, is it flat? No, then it's a hill. Is it 2% grade? Yes, it is. But is running 2% at maximal effort, does that feel like uphill? It absolutely does. So if you match your effort to your hill, every hill is useful. But in terms of actual efficiency, I combine, I put hills into two camps, runnable hills and non-runnable. And, and there's that gray zone, but I divide it where your running form changes. If you're using the same form as flat ground, that is a hill. And if you're using the form that is not the form you would use on the flat ground, then that's a climb. And I think you need a mix of both in your life. I think climbing is great for your engine, but doesn't impact your running the same way that running uphill does. You know, in the trail world, in the OCR world, you don't see a lot of like douche grade gradual climbs. It's like, it seems to be short and steep or like, I mean, there are of course on courses, but it seems to be that aggressive up and down. So I think unless you're one who's just training for flat courses, and then in those flat courses, you're getting those 5% grades, maybe 10 at times. Um, the big piece I left out my first year in training was I had a treadmill that went to 15%. And that's all I had. And then I got to Tahoe and said, this doesn't feel nothing like my treadmill. This is way different mechanics. And I was smoked. So I'm going to just say, if you're going to err on the side of caution, err on the side of steeper, if Spartan or trail is your shtick, let's say. Um, but so I would say all hills are not created equal in that sense. You got to get accustomed to that, like climb grade that you're talking about, which I say starts at like 20%. Yep. I think so. About 20%. Um, so definitely find a way to get that in. If you only have a treadmill that goes up to 15% and then you have a mountain race in Palmerton planned, not going to cut it. Find the smallest little anthill you have, as long as it's got a steep grade, that's going to benefit you as much or more than running at 15% on the treadmill. So no, not all hills are created equal mostly because the terrain they put us on are steep. I like to polarize my hills the way I polarize my training. I avoid the middle grade a lot. Like if I'm gonna run the hills, they're gonna be 20% or above. And if I'm gonna do speed work, it's gonna be seven or 5% or below. Mm -hmm. That in-between grade, I generally only use when I know there's a race that targets that. Otherwise, I think bang for your buck with speed is best a little lower and hills are best a little higher. Yeah, I agree. And I, I can tell you, you know, from my living firsthand, like steep stuff still translates to, to flat speed, even 30% work. So like, that's when I say air on the side of caution that way. But if you, if you train a lot at 30% and then you have a hills at 15% during your race, they're going to feel um, like you're, you're ready to, to perform still. So that's, that's all I really have about that. The people and myself included that say, 
if I'm not running 10 to 15% hills, I struggle on them in the race are generally the people, myself included, who during that block of training didn't do flat work. Like if you're doing 20 or 30%, you can run 10 to 12 or 15% if you're also doing speed work somewhere. But if all your hard work is at 30%, yeah, you're going to struggle a little bit at 10 to 12 because you're not as efficient there. But that efficiency can come from that grade or it can come from flat combined with 30%. Yeah, I can argue with that. I do a lot of that in-between stuff. For you some do. reason, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But um, all right. Max Edgen says, hey, guys, not sure how to ask a question for your podcast, but I was wondering, is it OK to do my easy recovery runs on a treadmill? They seem to be easier on my legs. I live in a very hilly area and I can keep my heart rate under control. Let me know your thoughts and thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It sounds like he's doing his quality and his long elsewhere, which fits the principles that we that we preach. If you can recover, recover. If you can work hard on terrain, work hard on terrain, and he's hitting it. Yeah, if your fitness isn't where um, those those hills are making your heart rate spike too much, even at like a really slow effort or even a power hike, um, then I think you're making the absolute right decision. I actually do. Um, I do believe like my guess is you're training pretty hard, so you probably just need to like forget about pacing outside and chill on those hills and just accept the fact that you're going to jog up them to keep your effort in check. But um, as long as your quality days aren't on the treadmill too. Yeah, I agree with you, Bracken. Have at it. Yeah, I did that for a long time. All my easy on that treadmill. Oh, you did? Yeah. How come? Pounding. When you were in Colorado or when you were here? Here. Okay. Colorado, I just went on the mountain every day. <laughs> yeah, no matter what. Pretty much, unless I was really trashed. Well, I had an athlete that I respected um, asking me this. We hopped on a call last week, Joshua Fox, and Joshua said, I just need to understand why I'm doing everything I'm doing each week. Can we hop on a call? And he had more questions about recovery runs than anything. He said, why am I do like, what am I trying to achieve here? I was like, you know what? That's a good question. Like, what am I really doing here? And I said, all you're really doing when, if I'm going to simplify this, it's just to get you ready for your next quality day. That's all our recovery runs are really doing when we're in a hard training cycle. So get your body back to homeostasis so you can perform on your on your quality day. If I'm going to simplify it, that's as simple as it gets. We're not trying to gain fitness. We're not trying to lose fitness. We're not trying to create a debt. We're not trying to create DOMS or muscle soreness. All we're doing is setting ourselves up for our next quality day. And with that principle in mind, if the treadmill recovery sets you up best for your next quality day, then you're making the right decision. So however you need to do that, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Natasha Manzel. She calls me boss. She says, hey, boss. She's an athlete. Random one, but next time you do a Q&A, can you and Bracken answer? If you could interview any guest, who would it be and why? And what would you ask them? She wants to know if we could get anybody on the line. Who would You got anybody that comes right to mind? No. What if you had to think a little harder, Bracken? Well, you start talking and I'm going to think. I'm trying to stall here, Bracken. All right. Well, we're going to just edit out however long this pause takes until we come up with someone good. It is a pretty good question. You know, actually, you know, in, in our realm, I can actually, we don't need to pause. I think I can go, I can go to two people. I would love to interview one of two people. I would love um, to interview Joe Rogan. And I'll tell you why. I would love to interview Joe Rogan because first of all, he does the interviewing, right? Uh, and he's one of the most interesting dynamic, he's polarizing, right? People, not everybody loves him, but he's one of the most interesting dynamic go-getters of life, even though he hides it in his like, brassy comedy and his interview style and his love for MMA. But like 
the dude gets curious about, curious about fitness and then he experiments and he goes hard and he gets the best people and takes the best advice and does his research. The guy gets curious about where the food on his plate comes from and he gets the most known guy in the, in the industry, Stephen Ranella, to teach him how to go bow hunt elk in the mountains of Colorado. The guy dives into people's lives and he's been successful in so many avenues. And I think he would just be like understanding how his brain works would be super interesting. So Joe Rogan would be a guy I'd love to hear his, like how we go back and start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's a guy I would really like to understand his story, Joe Rogan. And then I would also really like to know David Goggins in the sense, like is David Goggins really David Goggins or are we getting a front? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to understand that a little better, but I'm going to say Joe Rogan, oddly enough. Okay. Did that spawn any ideas? No, it confused things. And I was only thinking runners or coaches. Uh, well, why don't you pick one then? You know, I would like to talk to Jim Walmsley right now. Mm, me too. Everyone knows Jim Walmsley is the best endurance trail runner in the U.S. And one of the best in the world. And then he went after the Olympic trials with not a massive buildup compared to what all his competitors were doing. And he was very successful. And he ran 215 in a marathon. And he ran one all one or 102 prior to that and a half 102 maybe mm-hmm. might even been a little slower than that but he's a very very interesting guy but then i was watching the um the what is it the golden trail series i was watching 2019s they have 25 minute episodes on 2018 and 2019 all of their races oh they do yeah and maybe just 2019 but he showed up to sierras and all and took third place and he was in like third halfway up the climb then they got to some brutally steep stuff at huge elevation and he dropped to fifth and suddenly at the bottom he's in third place a minute ahead of the other guys just had blasted people down hill and he wasn't i mean the europeans are supposed to be better technical descenders and it's not the most technical race but anyways he he consistently performs better than people expect him to and i just would love to get all of that and I think we will get Jim someday because we have a few friends in common. He stayed at Hunter's house before. He grew up with training with John Yatsko. We'll get him eventually. We tried our best to get Joe Gray on too. Trust us. I just talked to Joe this week. You did? Okay. Joe Gray is coming on and he's one that I'm very interested in. Mm-hmm. He's an anomaly in our sport in many, many ways. And I love it. And I want to talk to him mm-hmm. about it. But right now from the athlete side, Jim Walmsley. And then from a coaching side, I'd like to talk to Alberto Salazar, honestly. I'd like to have an, like, if he just decide, I will tell you everything. I'd love to know everything that went on there. Yeah. That's a storm cloud over someone's head, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. He's the, Uh he's the king of the gray area. And I'd like to know everything they've done at Nike to try to unlock the human potential. I think Wamsley would be interesting back to him because he's pretty low key on social media. So we don't get a good snapshot of what's going on. And I, and I kind of like that. So he shows what he wants to show. Exactly. Um, we got a ton of questions left, so we're going to have to start clicking. I just filtered through them. Uh, we, got, we got a mountain here and we got a time frame. So uh, Colin Van Grimm something. My question for you, with COVID, my running has pretty much been done on a treadmill. I am close to 350 miles on my shoes, and that is generally when I need a new pair. However, the sole of my shoe looks brand new. Normally, I truly know I need a new pair because I will feel a bit of an ache in my knees, which has not happened yet, but I have developed a bit of pain in my metatarsal which I have had issues with in the past. But I am now wondering if that has also been a sign of needing new shoes in the past. So long story short, do shoes last longer on a treadmill? Or is it a case of they may look new, but the foam has condensed and it's time for a new pair? Yes. My answer is yes as well. 
tread won't show the same way. They're not going to get dirty, so they're going to look nice, but they will compress the same way. Yep. Feel the inside of the shoe. How does it feel grooved around your foot? Are those big and sunk in and compressed? Um, answers yes. And everyone always needs new shoes eventually. So buying them early is never a bad thing because you're, you're going to use them eventually. So you buy them and you put them on. And if you instantly notice, like, holy crap, I'm like three mil off the ground higher. Or they feel totally different in the footbed, you know it's time. And if you run two or three runs of them and your foot doesn't change, then you just hang on to them for later. But I don't think it's ever a bad idea. I mean, I always have my next shoe waiting so that I don't have to feel my hip pain because hips are where mine show up a lot. I don't have to feel it and then deal with it until I get my next shoes. I just get done with that run, put the other one on, and then I go. You have your next shoes waiting. Yeah. Shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Colin knows what to do there. He's probably already bought himself a new pair. That's my guess. Uh, Charles Corbera says, hey, quick question for you guys. Buy a 2021 Spartan Age Group season pass or just sign up for individual races? Really don't want to lose a thousand bucks. Any advice would help. Then don't lose a thousand bucks. I think races are happening. I think you'll get your money's worth if you're willing to travel to the ones that are happening. Mm -hmm. But I understand the conundrum. Races are expensive. It's freaking 200 bucks to go race a super these days, right? Like it adds up fast. So Yes, it does. Spartan seems to be good for it. Uh, They're probably not going to refund you, but they'll transfer it to next year. But this is the year where they're going to put on enough races that I don't think they'll refund if you only use three or four races. So you either get it knowing that you're going all in or just a la carte it. And if you get to 900 bucks, then cut yourself off and say, all right, I'm done racing for the year. Yeah, that's always a way to do it. I mean, think about this. Okay, Jacksonville just went off. If Spartan San Antonio this weekend happens and goes off without a hitch, if Vegas the following, and we got these races are actually happening, and then we got Charlotte after that, which I have a feeling all of these are still all green lights, like we're racing this year, so might as well buy the pass. That's what I say. Yeah, vaccines are going out. They're not going to hurt the cause. Every single day, more people are vaccinated, which means companies are going to have more leeway with their insurance companies to put on events. Yep, exactly. Uh, Jonathan R. Riley says, every sport has an ideal body type and size that almost all the top level athletes fall into. Example, there's rarely any NBA players under six feet tall. CrossFit game athletes are almost all between 5'8 and 5'10, roughly 190 to 200. Who deviates farthest from the most common athlete size in the elite men's and women's field and still brings it? I like that question too. Who's not fitting the, the prototype of who should do well in our sports on the men's and women's side? Well, I think it's it's easy to say it's Hunter, it's Isaiah, it's Ryan Kent, it's you. But it'd also be easy to look at the other side and say it's Ryan Kempson, it's John Albin, you know, because we don't have a stereotypical prototype yet. I think that in five years from now, everyone's going to look like Kempson, VJ, and Ryan Woods. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, we're it's the sign of our sport being young is that not everyone looks the same. People like to champion our, the cause of, it's why our sport's so great is everyone can do good. And that's maybe more true than it is in some other sports, but it's rapidly leaving that. Yeah. So the better our sport gets at filling out, the more everyone's going to look similar. And that opens its own can of worms with the whole body image issue. But right now, Hunter is always the outlier. Yeah. Hunter and Isaiah both come to mind. And I'm not going to touch the women's side because it's I'm not a female. And so I don't get to talk on female body shape. Yeah, that's probably best. And I wouldn't even consider somebody like myself necessarily an outlier. I need to put on a little more weight probably to be a true outlier, I guess. And like a Magita, maybe. But I'm going to say like the guys that surprised me, the more sleight of frame guys. Like if you look at Robert Killian on the start line in Jacksonville, 
You know, he didn't quite look as like, you know, like when you got like that lean body sorcery or we'll call it where like, you don't really look prepared to handle some of the strength components yet you go through things pretty effortlessly. I would almost say like the slider of frame guys. Yeah, of course they're running is good, but most of those guys that are slider of frame are very impressive on a lot of the obstacles and obstacle efficiency. Hobie was our outlier. Hobie wasn't exactly Hobie was an outlier. Um, I know Killian wasn't quite in the fitness he wanted to be, but he, you know, he would look unassuming on the start line. Um, uh, and you know, even like a Logan Broadbent, who's like five, six, you know, yeah. in the traditional sense, like that's not helpful in a lot of senses. And some of the things in our sport, I would say he's another one right now, more so than like somebody like myself, I would say. So it's interesting. Our sport, the size gets really blown out of proportion when someone fails something. Right. Like if Ryan Kempson struggles on a tire flip or on one, one strength obstacle, people say, see, that's why he needs to be bigger. Biceps win races. But what they don't do is every other race that he wins and someone larger muscle-wise than him takes 12th, they don't say like, see, that's why you have to be a tiny little runner to win. So mm-hmm. the failures of small get celebrated by the big and the failures of the big don't get celebrated by the small. Yep, I agree with that. And most of the time, the running wins out. So I guess it's for us, our sport right now, it's less of a frame issue and more of a running issue. Can you run at your frame? Exactly. And if the answer is yes, you are prepared for this course. And then it's also, can you do strength at your frame? Kempson is one of the smaller guys in the whole field, but he can run and do strength at his frame. Hunter can run and do strength at his frame. And so the outlier is attribute, not size currently. Mm-hmm. You only need to be so strong for this sport too, yeah. um, in my opinion. Dustin, Dustin living good. Uh, training question for you guys. I did a performance workout today that was scheduled for 60 minutes. It's meant to be a spicy grind and had a good effort to get me ready to feel the burn. I performed well for six mile, then faded the last two. Not horribly, but noticeable. So the question is for a 60 minute performance workout, should I take nutrition when I normally would in a race effort or long workout at 40 minutes? I'm seeing it two ways. Without fuel, it's compromised nutrition training, but I will suffer in performance gains. But with nutrition, there's a good chance I could hold the effort for the last two miles and gain the performance fitness. Uh, he's like, ugh, see what you guys have done to us, mulling over what type of fitness gains are better. Hope you guys are healthy and well. Thanks ahead of time. Great question. That speaks to the the audience, the running public audience. Or too. Dustin's a student of this he course. Is. But this is the type of stuff we like to hear. Also, I the further I get into my endurance career, the less I care about compromised nutrition. In fact, I don't even know if it's helpful anymore. And that's changed over just the last couple of years for me. If we are truly prepping ourselves in workouts to do what we want to do in the race, if we intend on making it 60 minutes in a race, we should do everything in our workout to, to make sure that we get that 60 minutes in the workout. Otherwise, you don't even get your last 20 minutes, whereas you are at your most physically compromised and fatigued. You can't work hard through it. It's going to make it harder to do so in a race. So if training's only purpose of the quality days are to get you ready for racing, then you approach them nutritionally, whatever way it takes to get every ounce out of that workout. Yeah. And it's knowing your body. I know I can go for an hour without a stave in performance. Um, but if you notice that that's a worthwhile experiment, first of all, so the answer is yes, experiment with that. And also like, if you're going to do it, take your nutrition at 30 minutes and give that time to actually 40 might be by the time it actually is like metabolized and ready, then like your runs over. So I would just bump it up earlier. But other than that, I think it's a worthwhile experiment. I know I don't need it no matter how hard I'm working. However, I'm not everybody. 
And you know, Kirk, I knew that too until I did high rocks. And I found out at different exertion types, my needs are different. Oh, sure. I will actually get worse during a one hour run for time if I take in some nutrition because my system does not want to handle it well. But if I take something 35 minutes into an all out high rocks exertion workout, I will not fade the same way I would without it. So I think, like you said, testing it out and knowing your body. Yeah, it's a good question, though. Um, Abby, I have competition coming up and I was wondering what machines are the best to cross train and get the most out of it without making the knee hurt more. Elliptical stairs, row machine, treadmill, and bike is what I can access. I would appreciate any workout advice that would that would agitate my knee. I'm, I'm assuming wouldn't agitate your knee. What do you think? Well, coming from someone who's had two knee surgeries, no one can tell you that except you because there are so many different forces at play in the knee that are inflamed by different motions and even different people's injuries manifest differently. So mm-hmm. get on every single one of those and find out what feels the best. And that's the one you do or the several that you choose. It's honestly that simple. Um, Now it sounds like maybe she doesn't have much pain with all of them. If she said they're all options to her, then you would say, what races do I have coming up? If let's say they're a climbing race, I might be on the stair mill or the inclined treadmill hiking, for example. But if it's a flat race, I may gear more towards the elliptical and turnover. So It's tricky because I had IT band issues in North Carolina my freshman year, and I could not walk up the stairs to my dorm room. But with two torn menisci, meniscuses, meniscus? Meniscus. Shit, let's go with meniscus for sure. With two torn meniscus, I could could work on the stair mill all day long. Hmm. So it really depends on what fires up your knee. I could not do incline trainer, but I could do the stairs with my meniscus. Interesting. It is. And that's probably not the same for everyone. The flexion something in there. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Rob Simon, question. If polarized training is a no-brainer for running, why would it not also work for grip endurance? I recognize it may not be necessary for Spartan races, but OCRWC is gradually getting tougher on grip endurance. Would long, slow sessions on rower or ski erg work? What about longer, lighter farmer's carries? Yes and no. The difference is that running is an aerobic event where grip strength is not. Even the longest rig in the world, what's the longest that you're going to spend on it? Even throughout an entire OCR world's 15K course, how much time will you actually spend with your grip engaged? If you don't count a farmer's carry, it's going to be less than three minutes. If you do count the farmer's carry, maybe seven minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's still a lifting component more than it is an aerobic component. That's my take. I still would do long farmer scaries, but I wouldn't program it like I would in an, an aerobic sport. Well, think about this. I weigh about 175 pounds. That means I need to finesse 175 pounds through space to get through a rig, let's say. If you were going to translate that to, let's say, a farmer's carry, if you divide 175 pounds into two, what does that come out to? Let's just say 85 pounds. Dumbbells right? Would, it would add up to maybe close to my weight. So that's what we're dealing with. If we're going to translate that to like a simple farmer's carry, right? You need to be able to handle your own body weight through space. So does it make sense to grab 30 pound dumbbells and go scoot for a really long time? Or does it make sense to get comfortable with your own body weight in your hands? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. So you can go back and forth, but I always err on more weight than less because then perceived exertion wise makes it seem 
um, more manageable. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if you want to get good at something that is force output wise, even if it's running or strength training, you have to do work above and below your intended weight or duration of what a race will be. So you have to do heavy grip work and you have to do less than heavy grip work, but the le- you can't get lighter than body weight. Mm-mm. You know, and how long can you spend doing body weight stuff if you're on a bar? So just by nature, you have to spend the vast majority of your time balancing that equation by doing more work at way heavier. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to err on the side of caution or just to cover your bases, start with your typical harder, quicker to fail strength work and get that done first. And then, if you want to go burn out a long farmer's carry or a long assisted dead hang with a band around your knee because you are curious if it'll translate, like that's great. But I would still lead with the the difficult, heavy, quicker to fail type movements. If you're looking for endurance, go bouldering and rock climbing. Yep, I agree, hundred percent. I think that that's where you could do your 80-20. 80% of it's bouldering, 20% is heavy, heavy grip work. That's good. I wish I would have thought of that, Bracken. Should we just sc- scratch everything out and just say yeah. that? Just say that? Yes, we should. Okay. Yep. Definitely polarize your grip training. <laughs> and I like that too, because you're moving your own body through space and getting good proprioception and learning how to you know navigate and control your, your core and everything in the same time. So I, I would like that idea. Last thing with that. Even bouldering, how long do you spend on the wall before you take breaks? It's not very long because it's such a small musculature that you're using. It cannot be used in an endurance state and recover the same way your cardiovascular system and your quads and and glutes can work. Yep. Uh, Jared B, question for either of you gents. Doc thinks I have a stress fracture in my left foot. Waiting for an x-ray to confirm. I'm assuming you've gotten the confirmation. Also... X-rays don't show shit when it comes to stress fractures. So my guess is, Jared, your X-ray didn't show anything. Doctor said you don't have a stress fracture. You need an MRI or you need a bone scan to find that out. But most general practitioners are going to send you to get an X-ray, and that's a waste of data. I'm going to continue now because I've experienced that how many times throughout my life. Unless you have a full fracture or clean break, like most of the time X-rays don't pick them up. He says, I can lift heavy and do a lot of work with absolutely no pain. Walking or running, my foot pain is crazy. Obviously, I need to stay off my foot. Would getting an air bike or a rower be a good way to keep training and conditioning? Might be a good Q&A for the next episode. Thank you. Yep. On the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Air bike is the best. I'm not putting any pressure on my foot exercise you can have. Man, air bike can just, you can get that heart rate up like you can when you're running. It's just like you can get a $500 air bike through Assault Fitness and it's a good quality product or 600 bucks. I know it's a price to drop the amount of time I spent on mine and you Bracken, I don't know how much you spent on yours. I spent $85 on one and the other I found in the back of an alley for free. Well, I made one post on Instagram for Assault and they sent me a bike. So suck it, Bracken. You're more famous and handsome. (laughs) Not anymore. Next question, Jeremy Whitley. Hey guys, curious to know if it's worth your while or that of others to have a training Tuesday on the concept of super compensation and its use in 80-20 programming, planning workouts across heart rate zones, how deep into the recovery hole to go, etc. Or this could be primarily a Q&A episode topic. I feel like I need to read that again to understand it. Let's cut this one out and save it for a training Tuesday. Hold on. Let's see. Let's see if I can. We can do this, Bracken. Can we? Okay. The concept of super compensation and its use in 80-20 programming 
planning workouts across heart rate zones, how deep into the recovery hole to go, etc. I don't know what supercompensation means in this regard, do you? In sports science theory, supercompensation is the post-training period during which the trained function parameter has a higher performance capacity than it did prior to the training period. So after the adaptation has taken place and you can use your new fitness? So it's basically like you go outside in the sun and how long after that does your tan last for before it starts to go away? You're better at absorbing or you're better at being out in the sun after that for a while. But if you don't go out in the sun for a while, you lose that ability. That's what they're yep. talking about. So after the workout, how long are you better at it before you have to train it again? Go ahead. Do you want to? It's something that it's a rabbit hole. It's naturally built into 80-20 training. That's why it exists is because you can only work hard so many times in 80-20 before you have exceeded your 20 and it has to be all 80. Most processes have shown that it's a 24 to 72 hour recovery regeneration period before you reap the, the benefits of the adaptation. And so if you look at a week, the most you're going to see in 80-20 is three hard workouts a week. The closest you can put those together is 48 hours between bouts. You could do 24, but then you're kind of pushing it and then you're going to have extra space in your week. So 80-20 training naturally allows for the generic super compensation. Now you could dive deeper and find out what your super comp super compensation period is. And then you could only have 36 hours after one type of exercise and then a full 72 after another. Honestly, the benefits of that are going to be super, super marginal and it's going to require a lot of testing. So that's why 80-20 just naturally works is it limits people to two to three hard workouts a week and everything in between takes advantage of needing to recover anyways. I feel like it's so subjective, like so individually based and like, like from my understanding, maybe on some sort of level you can recover in 24 to 48 hours, but like for like true, like physiological adaptation, that can take like a week and a half. Right. So I, I don't even, I don't know how to address that question, to be honest. I'll leave it. I'm happy with you just speaking your piece and moving on because I, I don't have anything valuable to add because I'm not, I can't pretend to be educated on that. The concern with this line of thinking is that you don't want to go too long after super, comp super compensation starts because then you're missing out on the opportunity to do it better right. and then revamp your super compensation. But you don't want to do it too often during because you're not fully recovering. But that's why we always tell people start with two quality workouts a week. And if it ever feels too easy or you're not progressing, bump to a third. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, if you're doing three forever and you hit that same wall, you bump down to two. And you're playing with, in essence, your super compensation periods. Which really means just stacking quality workouts in the right manner in which you can build from one to the next and see the most adaptation without losing, minimally losing it along the way. Yeah, without compromising it by doing it too soon and without waiting too long and losing the effects. Mm, just something I've never just even just like thought about you just stick to your cycles and i mean it's an interesting topic i just I, I wish i knew more if you dive into it and you nail it you can get better but it also can drive you crazy yeah i can sense that i'm already feeling a little crazy because where does downhill fit into that where does strength training fit into that right i mean strength training has its own super compensation cycle which is different than endurance training and downhill because it's eccentric in na nature means you don't have to hit it as often so the super compensation physical period is short but the benefits if it's it's very long so anyways it can drive you crazy but it's worth exploring if you're interested in it yeah um luisa barteldez farina says it's a treat to listen to you pronounce foreign names each and every week and i'm happy that i'm not the one with the names in front of me i don't think i got it right bracken i don't either but i enjoy it <laughs> um 
Louisa says, got questions for your next Q&A. One, I can't seem to run faster on shorter distances. My 200 meter repeat, such as 20 by 200 meter workout, is often slower or the same as higher distances, such as eight by 800 meters or even three by a mile. Is that common? Do everyone, does everyone have a max speed they can't seem to break? Aging athlete here with the grandma's emojis. <laughs> it's common, but that is an issue on steroids right there. Like that is blown out of proportion. To do mile repeats at the same pace as your 200s is not common. I would sink my teeth into that fast work and maybe even make it shorter yet and see if we can't get some efficiency going at that faster, shorter stuff. I would force feed it. A lot of times people who can't run faster than their stride, it's a neurological thing. They don't know how to run faster. Get on a treadmill and keep doing intervals faster and faster. It will force your legs to move. And once you break through kind of like that crust that's keeping your stride in check, then you can mm. go back to the track. Yep. Your body doesn't know what it doesn't know. I like the interval uh, approach on the treadmill, like a simple, like even like 30 seconds hard on the treadmill and 90, se 90 seconds rest, something way over speed compensation, just to learn that will make you better at longer distances if that's your true struggle. So um, her last question, number two, how do you pace yourself during a 30 mile trail race without a lot of elevation gain? I've done road and gravel marathons, but new to such a long trail run. Uh, that's a tough one certainly is you get your heart rate data down in training and you run aerobically to start and you just make sure that you don't have any energy so we talk about matches to burn you don't get to burn a match until mile 22 <laughs> maybe yeah. 25 you just stay under control you think am i going could i keep this the whole time if the answer is yes you slow down even a little bit more if it's your first one yeah like go out and do a 60 minute tempo run and really make it work and hurt and hard and then look at your heart rate data after that and know how that felt and then like take 10 beats a minute off of that and or then make 20. that as a hard, or 20 make it make, pick a hard limiter and don't let yourself go past it till you got an hour left in the race and then rip the band-aid off if there's anything to rip off and go but like maybe a little parameter there might be good uh, i don't know if i'd use pace at all she asked what pacing i'd use more heart rate data on that yeah totally heart rate based um osvaldo Sena, another four and one buddy Greetings from Argentina for a future q and I'm an OCR athlete. I plan my own strength training, and I have a running coach who gives me standard plan, which is helping me achieve good timings. I work on weekdays, so that only leaves me Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays to add cycle volume. My question is, what kind of training can I perform with a bike three days a week to get the most of it? P.S. I live in the flattest place on earth. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, assuming you don't have room for any more intensity, get some long rides in. Yeah. That's what I would say. Aerobic development with the bike. If you're doing run work, only yeah. aerobic development. Yeah. I mean, you could go high end aerobic almost into that like zone three, but if your running's taking care of itself in your strength training, just go get time. Yep. That, I wouldn't add any quality. I would just add volume, but be careful. So it doesn't smoke. It takes too much away from your running. You're going to have to, I would slowly increase. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to add three rides a week. Now I would start with one, see how you respond to, but Keep an eye on that effort. Uh, Nick Spencer says, um, I don't recall this post, but I saw your post regarding using a band while on a treadmill. I have seen others uh, post items while running on a treadmill and they have had a band as well. During your next Q&A, could you please send a few, spend a few minutes going into more detail about using a band on the treadmill? Thanks. I do it for two reasons. The first is to make sure I have knee drive going. It's really, I am naturally someone who cycles their legs back low. 
which leads to more heel striking, which is okay, but when I fatigue, everything gets amplified. So my band encourages me to get my knees up and cycle my feet up and down underneath myself. Second thing it does is on my Nordic track, my treadmill feels like it's going to explode if I'm running fast at the front or middle of my treadmill. So I then move my band to the back of the handles and it makes me run on the back third and then it feels very stable. I can do speed work. So dual purposes, one positioning and two is knee drive. Yeah, I've never used it. So I can't, I won't speak to it firsthand, but I think that's, you nailed it, Bracken. Yeah. Um, Kirsty Miles, how would you pronounce K-J-I-R-S-T-I? There's a J after the K. Kirsty. 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 Kirsty Miles, you guys are killing me at these names today. Hey, I was wondering if you could do a podcast. I want to just touch on this one, by the way, briefly, because we could go into big time depth on this one. Hey, I was wondering if you could do a podcast on heart rate training and things that impact the run. For example, I've been sick this week with a virus. Today, feeling much better and took a leave D before running. My heart rate for the first five miles at an easy effort was through the roof. I felt fine, though. Last mile, I pushed faster and my heart rate went down. Weird. I chalked it up to meds and discounted the info because it makes no sense. Just a thought. I've enjoyed listening while running. That's that's her question. What do you think about, I don't know, heart rate variation and stuff? Uh, it happens all the time for a lot of different reasons. I am a person who runs when I'm sick. I exercise when I'm sick unless it's very high fever. But that's not something you can recommend because we are not medical professionals. We can't tell people to do that. So if you see heart rate anomalies, yeah, definitely stop running. Would I do it? I can't say that. You know, I can't say yeah. I would. But everyone knows their body pretty well. And if you don't, err on the side of caution. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I just think like there's so many factors that go into it, right? From sleep to overtraining to actually being well rested to how much caffeine you put in your body to something like a leave D, which has a stimulant in it. My goodness, you got pissed at the your boyfriend and you're running off some steam. I don't know, um, but uh, you, like I guess my question for you actually, I, w- I wouldn't mind chatting this out just a sec. Is like. What do you do? Like, let's say you go out and you're feeling good. It's one of those days where your legs pop. I'll notice this. And then I check my heart rate and I'm like, oh, dang, that's kind of high. Do you roll with it or do you keep it in check? Should she have rolled with it or should she have kept it in check? If I don't have a specific purpose that that would violate, I just roll with it. In fact, we've talked about this. When I have those days, I might scrap the rest of my week and reorganize it around that day. Suddenly it's now tempo day or it's now hammer day. And I will pick up the pieces afterwards because half of what we do is for enjoyment and i love running hard on days that my body clicks and it's few and far between so i take it well i think like that that scenario of um i'm running and i don't feel like i'm running hard i feel really good and light on my feet and i'm not like perceived exertion wise working at all but my heart rate is showing that i am is that something that you that that's the scenario that people seem to run into that's the one i write it down in my training log I write that down and I see what happens over the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. And if anything pops up medically, you have that circled in red on your training calendar and you know next time what your body is telling you. Yeah, yeah, it's worth chatting out. Um, I realized I had some old screenshots up, so we're actually on our last one. Okay, well, I have three, Kirk. <laughs> okay, our, la- our last one here, um, we're gonna have to make, we got like 10 minutes, I would say. Oh, we can do that. Dustin Livinggood has one more. He says, I have a Strava question for you guys. I was using the flyby for the Sunday sprint to see where I would have been lacking on the top elite guys. And I'm not showing all the men I'm showing Kempson and Alexander Walker, but we are not synced. Is there a way to make this work? Not that I know of. I think people have to allow their flybys to be visible. 
Is that how it works? Because I don't use the flyby function, to be I honest. I think. I can't speak with 100% confidence, but maybe we'll look into it and announce it next week. Does it have to do with the like the level of their subscription? It certainly could. I don't. I haven't kept up with that. Okay, I saved that one to ask you specifically, Bracken. I don't have an answer. When I'm rehabbing, and I pretty much just upload things. I don't change the title. I often don't change the shoes. And when I'm in a big block, then I look into it, and that's when I get caught up on the Strava feature. So I'm I'm out of Strava touch. Okay, you got some questions for us? I have three, Kirk, because I do my homework. He had 27. I have three. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, what are the rules for similar cardio benefit when I can't or don't want to run? How much often is too much for subbing in non-impact cardio? If they can't run, like they're replacing a run? With- so like I'm sore or I don't want to run, but it's a recovery or easy day. How often can I do that? Are there rules to that? I'm hitting my quality days. I'm hitting my long days. How often can I get away with subbing out my runs for something else? It depends what your goals are. Yes. It depends what races you have coming up. So that's my first caveat to anything I say. Yeah. Uh, second, you can do it as much as you want to if you feel like you're performing and your fitness is increasing, and that's what gets you back to homeostasis to crush your workouts. However, yeah. is that going to prepare you for back-to-back race weekends, or is that going to prepare you for who knows, right? But are you seeing improvement? Are you feeling good? Then maybe. I mean, I'm kind of on that plan right now. So You see triathletes who run three to four times a week in our world-level runners. Mm-hmm. but they are doing so much volume and intensity elsewhere. So is it doable? Yes. Is it advisable? It depends on your mentality. For me, it's, he asked if I can't or don't want to. For me, I, I go by if I can't. If I'm beat up, then I sub it out. If I don't want to, I still run because running is my sport and that's my weakness. I think that's exactly the question you have to ask yourself. Yeah. Want to or like I probably shouldn't because something's not feeling right. If you're only doing it for enjoyment, then you can do it whenever you want. But if you're doing it for maximum performance, you stick to can't, now don't want to. Because our excitement, if you're maximum performance people, is derived from our performance, not from our necessary, our enjoyment of every single day of training. I agree. All right here. I'm going to scroll up because it takes me a while, Kirk. All right. It takes me so long since I take screen. I I screenshot more than anyone. I have thousands of screenshots on my phone. Any little interesting thing I see, I screenshot. Do we need to like play some elevator music here yeah. real quick or something, yeah, Bracken? Age group racer said they don't get to get out on course enough to find out all their techniques. We talked about it in an in episode about get out there, try different techniques, have a different technique for every scenario. They say, I don't have the opportunity to do that. But what I do have the opportunity to do is race one day open and one day age group. So in open, you can theoretically do multiple tries on an obstacle. They said, what, is, what are your guidelines there? How much is too much? Should I go and do as much as I can? When do I worry about blowing my grip out? It's a real world question. Well, if the if the intent is to learn, what I would do is travel to a race and I would actually hit the, the first race in the age group. I would go get it out of your system. And you know, maybe you're sacrificing or leaving some performance on the table. And then the next day, or I believe even later that day, you could register for an open wave. Mm-hmm if you wanted to do so and then go enjoy it and then spend it and blow everything out all you care to and try things multiple times. I'd probably go into it trying to perform. Don't mess up your race by dawdling too much the day before. And then, yeah, then spend that time. That's what I would do. And a lot of times, like for example, if it's the super on Saturday, you know, the sprint doesn't have all the obstacles on Sunday for you to play around on. So I would probably suck it up and do like an age group race in the morning and then an afternoon wave in the open 
later and then treat it as like you're going to the ninja gym. Yep. That's how I would do it. That's a great answer. The only thing I can add to that is if you're an age group slash open racer, your race is probably not getting paid for. So you're spending your own money and your own time to fly out to these races. At that point, it makes sense to take one day per month. And even if it's three hours drive away, find a ninja gym and get your training in there. Like if you're going to spend a thousand bucks on a race weekend and you're going to fly across the country, go drive for three hours each way, spend 20 bucks for a day pass and get all your trials out of the way there. hundred percent. A lot of times we, we, I look at it and say, oh, it's a 45 minute drive to a ninja gym. It's like, yeah, but it's a seven hour flight, to go, <laughs> you know, three and a half hours there, three and a half hours back. Why wouldn't I go drive an hour and a half one Saturday? Yeah, that's a good point. So I like that. One more, Kirk. One more. more. How do you get better at spear throw tips or tricks? Uh, go there and just keep throwing it and throwing it and throwing it until something makes sense to you. All right. And I have, I have a very specific protocol for this, Kirk. I do too. But the first thing is start throwing your spear a lot. My take is that the spear is a paper airplane. It's not a football. You don't throw it. You have to be able to make it glide balanced in the air. And mm -hmm. so you just get a handle of something, a hoe handle, a broom handle, or get the actual one that they use for spears and just sit in your backyard and kneel down so there's nothing else involved other than your hand and just learn to make it float for five feet and then make it float for 10 just so that it flies on a just a horizontal plane through the air and once you can make it float 15 or 20 feet on your knees then you stand upright and you do it again without moving your feet and once you can do that then take a step into it and then you start putting some effort into it but you have to just learn to make it float first once you can make it float you'll never miss uh, yeah, I do say people start too far back too. like, it's okay to, I think the, the spear throws like 27 feet or something like that. Um, start at five feet and just get comfortable, like at a close and then gradually work your way back. Um, I mean, I can talk specifics. Yeah. I mean, keep that spear tight and close to your head. Don't let that arm swing out. Like you're throwing a football, you know, keep everything in my opinion, keep it tight to your body instead of wing your elbows out and wing your arms out, keep it tight. How would you throw a paper airplane the same way? Tuck your elbow in and flick it, right? I'll just exaggerate that motion, but keep it tight. I mean, when I'm lining that up, my, my, my fist is within a half an inch of my ear. I may even be bumping the side of my head and it's an exaggerated, I like that paper airplane uh, uh, analogy. That's a good one. And you're right. It's just hundreds of reps. You just got to do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. You can't just go out and throw it. 30 times one week and then not do it till a month later. You got to put your time in up front like Bracken and I have. And now I, I mean, I can just go show up at a race and 99% of the time I know exactly how it's going to leave my hand. Cause that muscle memory has been learned. So it's like, yeah, this was a two part question. So last okay. question of the day. Huh? All right. This is what I thought. I heard you say many times before you won't monetize this podcast with sponsors. Why not? You guys work hard at it. Why not bring in some advertisers you like slash believe in? I don't think anyone would fault you for doing that. Well, I will say that we we don't seek it out. So step one, we're not we're not chasing money here, and so we don't go out of our ways to find them. That would be the how I would address that initially. Yeah, and part two is that. It's not that we don't want to monetize it or that we don't, we would feel super guilty about it. It's that we want to say anything. Like how many shoe companies out there, like say we partner with Hoka, we both love Hoka. How many would treat it like VJ has treated us where we get to promote any brand, any shoe we ever want? Right. 
Probably none. But then that compromises our ability to do what we want to do. How many nutritional sponsors would allow us to say, hey, Kirk loves Endurly and Bracken does too, but he's using nothing but Tailwind right now. That wouldn't mm -hmm. work. So part of why I feel like we've connected with a lot of you is because we know that you know that anything we say you can trust that it comes from a good place and as soon as you partner with someone and now there's money on the table now that compromises a little bit of that trust like are they just saying this or would they say something different if they weren't partnered with this and so it would take a very unique sponsor for it to really work and there may be a day yeah there may be a day we're talking with a few people currently but that's mm -hmm. generally where the talks break down which is what do you expect from us and what will that mean for what we say on the podcast? And it generally comes down to, well, yeah, we can't, we can't give money away for that. So when it happens, it'll happen. And you'll know that we have vetted them thoroughly. We haven't had many samples sent to us of things. We've had situations like that have happened and we weren't fully on board with something and we couldn't get behind it the way we'd like to. So we've said no. Yeah. We, we put a year in before we asked anyone to even trust us for a training plan. Would we risk a year of our work we put in for an extra $500 a month or an extra $1,000 a month. Like that's not life-changing. So why would we make it be possibly the piece that undoes the podcast? Yeah. Although I do appreciate that question and thank you. Yeah. The same reason we don't have a Patreon. We don't want people to feel anything other than interest to listen. Yeah. That's it, Bracken? That's it. That's all we got. It's turned out longer than we hoped for. It always does. Yeah. We like to gab. You got to well, go work out? Nope. I got to go work. Oh, yeah, that's too that bad. That whole thing that I do. Guess what I'm going to go do right now. What are you going to do right now? Walk, jog intervals on the treadmill. Woo! Yesterday, I accidentally ran from the car to the house without thinking. I got I got back to the car, and I was like, oh, shoot, I just ran. That's when you know you're ready. Oh, well, I'm still recording this, so now the people know, too. Yeah, so I'm not going for a run, but I'm going to put a few 30-second jogs into my hike on the treadmill. I like that, man. Good luck. I'll be curious how it goes. It's a big day. All right. Good luck to those of you racing in San Antonio this weekend.